Hello and welcome to Never Press News, the podcast which will give you an insight into the lives and minds of the most motivated and inspirational people I have the pleasure of knowing. I'm Tony Musgrave and this is Never Press News. Hello, welcome to Never Press News episode 14. Been looking forward to this one for so long. And I'm not even sure how we managed to get back in contact, but I've tracked you down and uh, I've managed to get you on the podcast. Welcome to Never Press News. Thank you for having me, mate. Long, long, long time, isn't it? Yeah, wow. we was just chatting, weren't we, off air, uh, what, 2011? It, it was either the end of, yeah, it must have been the end of 2011. Must have been, I think. Or was it the beginning of 2012? When did you go on the on your uh, round the world one that you set off from Greenwich Observatory? Yeah, that was the eighteenth of February. So, yeah, I can't remember when the bike show was. Yeah, so I think the, sh- the bike show must have been. It, there was only like four weeks or so before you had to go because I I remember you consuming a a large amount of calories over them that day we was together. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think, yes, yeah, so it must have been January. I think the bike show is often in January. So, um, yeah, jeez, I mean, that was a blur. Wow. That was a long well, time ago now. Well, welcome to the podcast. Um, we was just chatting off air then. I'm just trying to give you a bit of a, a little bit of an intro to what it's about. But essentially, the podcast is is about me going around um, finding the people that inspired me uh, throughout my life mostly. Um, and your name has cropped up on a number of occasions. It came up in uh, Christie's in episode six, I think it was, when she did Land's End to John O'Groats unsupported, uh, solo unsupported. That was yeah, because amazing. she saw you at um, a, a conference in London somewhere. And after that, she, she actually talks in the podcast that she felt like you was talking just to her she said there was hundreds of people there but you said it's going to be okay just get on your bike you'll be fine so she did and if you listen oh. to her podcast, which i do advise you do it it's quite amusing because she literally did zero prep jumped on her bike and rode lands <laughs> into john and which um she, she realizes afterwards that wasn't quite exactly what you meant but uh <laughs> yeah but she still did it so you know exactly, exactly. And then you cropped up again in Carl Russian's um, podcast in about episode nine. I think you two are both ordinance survey ambassadors, if that's the right yes. wording. Um, so yeah. you cropped up And I'd, I'd had your name down originally uh, to be in this podcast when I sat down and wrote the first 12 people out. And I had to cross your name out because you took a little bit of a spike from social media and I couldn't get back in touch with you. And as soon as you did, I think you must have posted within about 10 seconds <laughs> and emailed you all of the details about what it was. So, uh, yeah. thanks for yeah, no, it, it was great. I, t- I took nearly, I think it was nearly three months off in the end. There was a couple of posts that I had already scheduled in um, when I was going to be away. Um, and so they kind of popped up on my feed. Um, but yeah, I was pretty much silent for three months it was fabulous what was the reasons behind that and any um you know what it wasn't even a conscious decision i just was sort of i don't know i was just sort of enjoying a little bit of downtime it wasn't sort of like right i'm now just gonna not you know i'm gonna 
put my flag in the ground and I'm going to make this big statement that I'm going to be not into social media. I just sort of didn't post, you know, I just was like, you know, what? I'm just enjoying my family life and my family time at the moment. I've been training really hard for my next world record. Um, and, you know, after a sort of three weeks, I realized, well, actually, I've not really even I've not posted. I've not been on social media. I'm not really missing it. Um, so I just was like, well, I've kind of I'm not really got much to say at the moment. Um, I'm just kind of wanting to keep my head down and train hard, um, which I know a lot of people will probably say, well, actually, that's probably quite interesting. But I've, you know, I've still got the content. I just haven't posted it, if you know what I mean. Um, and, you know, I'll, I will put that out at, at some point. Um, but it was just nice. I think after about a month, then it was all of a sudden, oh, actually, this is quite nice. I might just <laughs> extend it for a while. Um, and then And then that was it, really. And then sort of middle of March, end of April, beginning of April sort of came round and I sort of well, I thought, well, well, actually, there's a, there's a few cool pictures that I've taken. I, you know, I should probably share them, you know, and a few cool things have happened. So I've started doing that again now. Um, and again, I'm enjoying it. Um, you know, it, social media is wonderful when it's wonderful until it's not. And yeah. it's a fine balance, isn't it? Yeah, I completely agree. It's a, it's a great tool and, 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 it, and it's got people like my I mean, we originally connected through social media um, through a guy. I think it was Chris Brisley, his name. Um, That's right. Uh, yeah, Chris, uh, yeah. And so, so the the way we met, Chris Brisley uh, put something out on Facebook, I think maybe, or so Twitter, or somewhere, saying, "Oh, I'm just looking for some volunteers to do a bit of uh, charity work at the weekend. Anyone interested? You get to go to the bike show." Uh, blah, blah. I was working away at the time in Germany. I saw the message was like, yeah, sure. I'd love to get involved with that. And uh, that's how we ended up in contact. You was hosting a stand for Solar Aid, getting ready yeah. to go on your first round the world attempt. Is that correct? That's right. Yeah, I was, I was going for the round the world cycle record as part of the global bike race back in 2012. Uh, and I was raising money for Solar Aid. Um, and we sort of, we had, our, well, basically I had my own stand for Solar Aid, but with the the idea of sort of me cycling around the world to get the record. So, uh, yeah, I figured I needed some some extra hands and, yeah, you were there to help out. It was, it was awesome. Yeah, we kept in touch quite a, quite a bit after that. You obviously went off on your around the world stuff and we kept in touch quite regularly over a couple of years. And then yeah. as we then, no. Life kind of takes over, and you mentioned there. And uh, since we met, you've your family has grown. You've now you're now married with a with a young son. I am, yeah, exactly. I mean, life is getting serious now. I'm a proper adult at the age of thirty nine. <laughs> well done, congratulations, and welcome to that uh, elite club of of adulthood. Oh, no, you, you, you're long down that path, so I might need to get some tips from you. <laughs> yeah, it's not all it's cracked up to be, mate. I'll assure you of that. Um, but yeah, so you've got yourself a whiskey. I've got myself a red wine. We'll take a little trip down memory lane, hopefully, and we'll uh, we'll have a listen to the things that you've been up to in the time that we've not been able to uh, keep in contact. Is that okay? For sure. Looking forward to it. Good. Well, give us a bit of an intro then for those on the podcast or who are listening that may not have heard of you. I'd be very surprised who they are. But those who have not heard of you, tell them who you are. Well, so, I mean, who am I? What am I? I mean, that's a big question, isn't it? <laughs> I I sort of, in 2011, 
I used to be a school portrait photographer and, you know, through being pretty miserable doing something that the only outcome was to earn money, really, there was no creativity in it. There was no passion. There was no ambition other than earning more money. I, I became pretty miserable and depressed. So I sort of left that world to go traveling, but I really didn't have any money to go traveling. You know, I just... When you earn money in London, you spend it. And at the age of 30, I sort of tapped out of, of a career, which is all I ever knew. I have no A-levels. I didn't go to university. Um, so, you know, when I quit photography, I was sort of starting from scratch. You know, I was sort of almost a teenager again, really. Um, so I wanted to go traveling, but I didn't have any money. So I just, I kind of just thought outside the box. I just thought, you know what? What if I try and break some sort of world record and in something that's kind of travel based, you know, whatever it is. And I sort of got super excited. All of a sudden I was like Googling polar world records and Everest world <laughs> records and Atlantic rowing world records. And although there was, you know, it, they, it was super exciting to sort of search them. I soon realized that firstly, there's no way I'm physically able to do a lot of these sort of technical records. You know, I've never, never put a pair of crampons on in my life. You know, I've never put it <laughs> at that time. I'd never put a pair of skis on, you know, type thing. So, um, you know, it was really, you know, a lot of them were like, well, that's just impossible. And then that was half of them. The other half were just way too expensive. You know, South Poles can run into the millions. And so that sort of put a bit of a dampener on that idea. Um, and then the, the thing that just kind of, kept popping back is, is cycling ultra cycling because for the most part you can do ultra cycling pretty cheaply um, and you can get to a fairly decent fitness by just putting the hours in you know there's no technical stuff I didn't have to go on sort of courses and that sort of thing like a lot of mountaineering and polar stuff you're doing all these expensive courses and that there's a bicycle you just can get a cheap bike on eBay and just put in the hours and you'll get better right um, and then coincidentally at the time, a guy called Vin Cox was putting on this, um, this first ever round the world bike race, basically, uh, in 2012. Um, so I entered that and that then is sort of, you know, fast forwarded 10 years now, I've just sort of kind of made, and I hate the word career because, you know, it's not, it's, it's the world of sport really. And, and. I kind of don't feel the world of sport and the word career kind of sort of work together in a sort of harmonious way and in a, in a magical way. It kind of ruins it a little bit. Um, but in essence, I, I sort of have made a goal of being this ultra endurance sports person. Um, and and I've just been chasing world records for, for 10 years, basically. So that's kind of where it all began, you know, just deciding to go traveling and then eventually moving into a world of ultra endurance um and it's it's been a hoot <laughs> well there's been a, a list of challenges that you faced do you want to just try and give us a bit of a rundown on what it is you've done just a quick list of the things you've been involved in oh gosh okay right so i've cycled lands in Groats. that was the first ever thing i did on the bike and interestingly i I was kind of seeing in the back of my head how close I could get to the record uh, initially. And the record at the time 
was just under two days. Um, 44 hours, I think it was. Um, so I sort of, I mean, I didn't really train, but I was just inquisitive, right? Um, and anyway, I settled from Land's End. Anyway, it, I, I kind of missed the two-day record. It took me 25 days in the end. I actually thought I was about to learn something completely new then. I was thinking, if he tells me he did it in three days, like I, I, I already knew it took a lot longer than that. <laughs> nope, 25 days. Um, if anyone cycled Land's End John Grits, you'll know that is woefully slow. Woefully. In fact, when I finished, they were at this couple in their late 60s they did it in 14 days you know so, so, um but anyway so yeah cycle lands in john goats pretty slowly um i i've climbed kilimanjaro dressed as a penguin which uh, I, I was told by all the sherpas that no one's ever done it dressed as a penguin before um which i don't believe because i mean i'm pretty sure people do it in fancy dress all the time for charity uh, I've done the Gloucestershire cheese rolling. That was one of the early ones as well. That's I liked back in the day. Yeah, yeah, that was that was crazy. Dislocated my shoulder, tore ligaments in my my back, and yeah, that was that was. I came second. I was gutted. You win the cheese. <laughs> you win the cheese if you come first. You know. Um, I then then there was the round the world bike race, and then like, it's weird, strange. After the round the world bike race, I sort of was prepared to try and get back into the world of photography and all of the cycling industry. I was looking at sort of charities like Sustrants and things to get jobs, um, but kind of wasn't getting any, any, just any even interviews really for, for work. You know, I was bike shops or whatever, bike mechanics. I was thinking of anything cycling related. Um, and then eventually after a year, I thought, well, I better go off and try and break another world record. Um, the the round the world cycle record actually didn't go to plan. That one I, I got run over in America, but that's that's a whole long story. But uh, yeah, so I was kind of desperate to do something else. So the, I had this record of the three F's of endurance, this overall big goal, which is a world's first, a world's furthest, and a world's fastest. So all the records I try and break usually fall into one of those categories: first, furthest, or fastest. So after the the round the world failed attempt i thought maybe i could become the fastest person to swim the length of britain um uh, so i sort of searched the time and eventually i came up with this i forget his name but we'll call him tim tim swims lands inch on a groats in seven days i was like what how how is that possible the running records nine days how can you swim it quicker anyway it turns out this tim fella um put a swimming pool on the back of a van and did lengths as they drove it you could beat Tim oh, yeah I mean that's brilliant so anyway it turns out no one had ever even attempted a length of Britain swim so um, that's what I sort of went to do in 2013 um, and yeah and, and got that one so I got my world's first uh, so straight after that I decided to run the length of Britain um because I had cycled it before. So again, I'm the only person ever to have done a length of Britain triathlon. So the swim, cycle and run, um, which I'm surprised by. I, I'm still the only person to have done all three, but actually it's very few people to have cycled it and run it or even walked it. In fact, I can only find sort of one or two really um, uh, that have done the, yeah, have done 
the two land-based ones. Obviously, the swim is, is the hard one. Um, so once I'd done the run, I thought, well, let me do a second of the F, so world's furthest. So then I did the world's longest triathlon, uh, as in a sort of continuous triathlon. And the way you do that is you just choose a, an overall distance, and mine was 4,000 and something miles, and divide that up into your sort of triathlon percentages obviously a shorter swim a medium run a a long cycle uh so i I broke that um 4000 mile triathlon in 2017 um i think well i I still have that record strangely there's a a guy in australia who was going to have a crack at it this year but he's had to pull out now because of covid which is really sad um and so after that was the third and final f and this one i always wanted to be on the bike the world's fastest and, you know, I tried loads, you know, I've obviously failed on the round the world thing. I then entered with the fitness of my triathlon. I entered the Route 66 bike race in 2016, had to pull out of that for injury. 2017 came around. I tried to get a round Australia cycle record off the ground, but um, that, that just kind of didn't happen through various things. And then I thought, well, let me do the across Europe cycling world record. Um, and that was, yeah, Portugal to sort of halfway across Russia almost. Um, well, no, a third of the way across Russia. It's 4,000 miles, bang on almost. Um, and yeah, 2017, I tried that, but pulled out of that one. And then I was like, oh my goodness, you know, am I getting too old now? Will I ever get this blimmin' third and final F, you know? <laughs> so, yeah. And then I was a bit miserable for a while, but then eventually 2018 came around and I was, I was due to get married that year. And I thought, right, I've just got to do it before that. You know, I've got to do it before this new chapter of family starts. And uh, so I went back to Portugal for round two of um, of, uh, of the Across Europe world record. And eventually after 25 odd days, just under, I got that third and final F. Hooray. Blimey hell. It took a while, 10 years in making that one. <laughs> Yeah, did was there was I know you mentioned there about um we're getting too old for this. Was there any serious doubts that some of this wasn't going to come off for you? Because I know and, and we'll try and touch on that as well. The the accident in in America and how it didn't really work out the way it was meant to be. Was there times where you thought like this, this might not come off? Um, certainly with speed records, definitely. You know, with speed records, you. There's a lot more. You need a lot more power, um, which you lose as you as you get older. Your endurance and your resilience and your sort of robustness kind of stays, but your power goes down. So that's why, you know, once you sort of hit your forties, fifties as a cyclist, you, you you can't really compete because cycling is sort of quite power power, you know, um, dominated on in that side of things, whereas running is less power so that's why runners can tend to run much into into their 50s 60s and and that sort of thing and still kind of compete you know the woman who has the land's end john Groats running record she did three marathons a day for 12 days um she was nearly 50 i think or 50 when she did it in the end phenomenal absolutely phenomenal so um yeah i mean of course you know with especially with i think at the time i was 37 you know not just like not being able to push the the, the the pace, you know, especially 25 days for me is pretty short, you know, and you really got to be on top of your speed game. 
you've got to have a good cadence. You've got to push good power. Um, and yeah, I mean, there was times where I was just like, oh, have I left it too late? You know, I should have done the speed record earlier on when I was 30 or, you know, at least maybe 35. But, um, but you know, I was wrong, actually. In my head, it was all just demons in my head. Yeah, and, sure. You know, of, I think, course, of course, I was fit enough. Yeah, I think you'd, you'd, you'd clearly built up, and I think base fitness would be an underestimation, but over years of going through those different challenges, you'd clearly built up a, a level of tolerance to, to those things. And, you'd, yeah, I, when I watched the your recent show um, on Amazon, it was – it was, I think it was made in there and it was clear that it was starting to, some of those negative thoughts were starting to creep in. And any encounter that I've had with you and watched you and seen you and read about you, it's, it's all really positive. So was there, a, was there any dark times at that point or was you still the, the, the same person I know, which is like buzzing for everything? <laughs> oh, yeah, of course. You know, the, the dark times... When I'm out on the road, when I'm sort of mid-record, it's kind of, it's, it's, it's not all dark, but it's all pretty miserable. You, you've just, and I've learned over the, the years to just try and not think about the dark stuff. <laughs> you know, yeah. not let the negative energy encroach in what I'm doing. Like that's, it's hard to do because, you know, we're all human. Um, but I, I just try my best not to let it get to me. Um, and it's, it's sometimes it does, you know, especially when you start getting a little niggle and you get a little bit of injury or you get a close shave from a truck and you just think, oh, you know, what am I doing? You know, I'm just about to get married. Why am I cycling on a highway, you know, in, in the Eastern Europe? You know, like it's just silly. Um, so, of course, there's, there's times where you question, is it worth it? Um, but, you know, I'm, a, I'm kind of when I've got these big challenges that's kind of makes me excited um about doing about just getting out there because when i get when i'm at home my wife laughs at me because i i'm all over the shop you know yeah <laughs> um i'm just a bit of a i'm a bit of a monkey at home and then i'm a terrier when i'm when i'm doing these things so i've got that kind of yeah. personality in 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 the the film that i watched the other night i think one of the bits that I started to see creep in a little bit, and forgive me, and please tell me if I'm wrong, was particularly around when the injury came, or your, I think it was your quad, was it, that was starting to tighten up? Oh, in Europe, yeah. On the so this, European one, yeah. Yeah, so when I was sort of around Poland, Ukraine, yeah, it's in my right leg. Well, actually, this one was a different one. It was my VMO, actually. because So, again... I have I'm right leg dominant and I don't know why it's just just the way I step out of bed it's the way I get up off the sofa it's the way I step into a vehicle you know I'm just I'm super right leg dominant um and I, I land up using it more than I than the other leg it's sort of sort of uneven and I think it's it's my right leg's either longer or shorter I can't remember um by about a centimeter so my biomechanics are a little bit off um, and inevitably something goes wrong. It's never been my VMO. So your VMO is your inside quad muscle. So if you pulled your quad muscle, there's the outside big one and then there's the little in, inside one. Um, it's pretty weird to, to pull that. I've never pulled that ever. <laughs> um, and I mean, luckily, it's you could probably survive just with that muscle pulled when you cycle. 
because you could sort of compensate with quads and hamstrings and kind of get by. And that's kind of what I did. Um, like if it was a quad pull, you know, then you're in real trouble. Yeah. Um, and, but yeah, it was just a niggle. But then again, it just starts playing on your mind. Like, yeah, you know, why am I getting this stupid little niggle? Like in my VMO, like how do you, I don't even know how to pull my VMO if I try. You know? <laughs> I don't even know where it is. But it yeah. kind of becomes, you, it looks like it became, you, you, you're like hypersensitive. Like the, well, your body is the, that's going to do all the work for you. So you're constantly, it feels like you're in tune with that and you're constantly listening to it. And when it tells you something, you, you're trying to respond straight away. That, that was the feeling I got from the, from the film. You have to. These records are so difficult that, you know, I only broke the record by 20 minutes a day. You know, you'd easily lose 20 minutes a day with a slightly dodgy VMO or more. You know, you lose 20 minutes in traffic lights. You could lose 20 minutes by, you know, someone in a, in a, in a roadside cafe taking too long to, you know, make you your food as you run in, you know. Um, so you know, they are so tight. So any little niggle, you know, all of a sudden you're losing five, 10 minutes a day because of that. And then, you know, if you extrapolate that over, over 25 days and then that's the record gone. So, um, yeah, you, you, you've got to, you've got to know your body. You've got to know when to sort of act early on, you know? Um, and then also you, you, in your head, in my head, certainly I'm working out, you know, is this a niggle? Is this a, something that's just tight is it going to fix itself is it going to get worse um you know all those sort of things and yeah it, it does play on your mind because also you then you on top of that you you're knackered you're trying to concentrate on not getting run over <laughs> um and you know i've been there before and it's you know you forever kind of worry um that it's going to happen Although I kind of also have the, the thinking that no one gets run over twice. Well, had my that, turn. That's exactly where I wanted to take it next, actually. So uh, unplanned segue, but absolutely perfect timing. I wanted to take it back to that time. So when you set out to do your uh, first round the world uh, record race was a couple of maybe four weeks after we'd, we'd worked together for the day. And I said to my brother-in-law, Sean's leaving from the uh, London Observatory February the 18th, a Saturday morning. I remember it relatively well. Let's ride down yeah. on our bikes and we'll wave him off and, and see him go. Um, I live 26 miles away from the observatory and it is literally one straight road. Somehow we managed <laughs> to get lost and you'd already gone when we got there. So we arrived at the observatory and they're packing whatever minimal, because it, it isn't a, a great, I expected like this big fanfare, but it wasn't really like that kind of just a few people milling around on some bikes with some um, some panniers on and, and away they went. Yeah, I mean, so, I mean, 2012, sort of after Mark Beaumont did the Round the World in 2008, that kind of reignited the world of ultra cycling and sort of this, you know, it's, called, it's now called bikepacking, but it, it wasn't called bikepacking back then. Um, it was still very underground, you know, it was still very sort of weird and, and culty type thing. It's become a lot more mainstream now. Um, I mean, it's still pretty underground now, which is awesome. Um, who, however, who, was, you know, the guy who, was, who was the guy that had the record before, the British guy before Mark Bourbon? 
can't remember his name. He came to stand at the back show. Do you remember? Did he? Yeah. Oh, yeah. He came. He came up the, yeah, at the bike show to see you before you left. I'm sure he was the guy who held the the record previous. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. So before Mark, the record was like 270 days. Yeah. Which is basically, I mean, and, and I'm sure he'll admit it is 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 a holiday ride, <laughs> and, you, and you just happen to be the quickest, right? Like, you know, without putting it sort of a, a, a negative angle on it but th that sort of mileage isn't really sort of world record pace nowadays you know like yeah <laughs> you know uh, 270 is something like 50 miles a day or something yeah exactly <laughs> um but yeah he so... feels at the uh, at the stand on the day that you did it um... yeah that's right oh yeah it's coming back to me now um so i was you know after mark the floodgates opened and you know mark's record of 200 days was already down at something like a hundred and well Guinness changed the rules so the record kind of moved um but it was about 120 odd days um which is, is a huge difference you know the difference between 100 miles a day and 169 I think is what we had to do um it's huge you know it's sort of it, it compounds itself you know like an extra 10 miles after 100 miles is probably 10 times easier than an extra 10 miles at 160 miles. You know, those, those last 10 miles, those last five miles are always pretty tough at the end of it, at the end of every day. Um, but, you know, I was, I was fit. I was training 40 hours a week. I was doing long, long rides. Saturday I'd do 4am till midnight type thing. And I'd cycle like London to Lincolnshire and back or, you know, some real long, usually about 220 miles every Saturday. Um, which was good, you know, I felt good. Um, so I was, you know, I was hoping to sort of get sub 100 days really for around the world, which is 180 miles a day. Back then you could, your transit time wasn't included, so it's just ride time. Um, now they include your flight time, which is, it's a better rule. Um, but yeah, so I was doing well, but unfortunately in, uh, in my American leg, I was 4,200 miles in, I think. Um, yeah, just, someone speeding on his phone didn't quite see me and yeah that uh, just wiped me out from behind doing 50 miles an hour um i surprisingly um kind of didn't suffer any physical like visual injuries it was it was weird i had chipped teeth but that's about it all my injuries were sort of internal so a compression fracture in my spine bit of whiplash bit of concussion torn ligaments in my knee but not super serious and in my ankle but again not super serious it was the compression fracture that was the bad um and that's when your the cartilage between two of your vertebrae so as the car hit me from behind the bonnet hit my back in the middle uh, t11 and my back sort of folded on itself and it squeezed the um the cartilage in between two of my vertebrae and you know they think later in life my two vertebrae may if i'm not if i don't keep active may fuse together they said but it may not so we just there's nothing i can do about it apparently um and yeah and unfortunately that kind of ended the world record attempt um, there was some talk and it, it there was some talk time yeah. wasn't there, of the record being paused due to the injury and then restarting if you could recover quick enough so the so so guinness have a rule 
that you are allowed to um if you if you reach an impassable barrier you can stop for two weeks uh and then carry on um so that means legitimately and and, and this is why i'm glad they got rid of the record you know you could you know for example start in london cycle all the way across to turkey uh and and then go well actually i can't cycle out the other side of turkey because it's political um so this is an impassable barrier so i'm going to stop here for two weeks and then fly to india um and you could do that all the way around the world you could cycle across india and go well, now i'm at at kolkata that's an impassable barrier because there's an ocean so i'm going to stay here for two weeks and then fly to bangkok for example um so it was a silly record a silly a silly rule within the records but you know that's just how they did it um so when i phoned them you know i'm still like injured and i'm sort of on loads of painkillers that that the american doctors had given me for the for my back and obviously that was just not making me think straight i sort of phoned guinness and i said listen where do i stand on this you know is being run over considered an impassable barrier um so do i do i get my two weeks and they said let let us let us review it and get back to you so uh anyway they did they eventually got back to me and said yes actually on this occasion we'll make we'll make the uh the the sort of uh the rule that you you, you can have two weeks off um but after two weeks the clock starts again so i was like brilliant oh that's awesome so you know this wonderful american family took me in martin and missy carey you know they bought me a new bike you know and and oh man that was so awesome uh to me and 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 allowed me to sort of carry on and so after two weeks i wasn't quite ready so i waited another couple of days but then i really sort of had to go on um little did i know is that actually it was it was probably a month after the whole ride guinness sort of turned around and said actually we're going to get rid of this this clock stopping rule so you you can't actually pause the clock when you reach an impassable barrier you've just got to fly to the next place or get to the next place and and do the required mileage um which is a much yeah. better, it's a much better rule i feel um, a bit for everyone then doesn't it it's this it's 100% but but this, this, the annoying thing is there was 12 of us all set up from greenwich under a certain set of rules and literally you know I think some people were still out on on the ride when they changed it. It kind of ruined, especially you know the late great Mike Hall who who won that yeah. race. Um, it kind of ruined his world record because you know, for example, he couldn't fly out of India. So um, when he got to the end of it, and his next flight was sort of five days away, and he just thought, oh well, the clock stopped. I'll just wait for that flight. But actually, he probably could have flown out somewhere else. Like he could have probably flown back to London and then flown to Bangkok, for example, uh, if the clock had. So he probably would have done that under the new rules and only had a, a day and a half rest, you know. So that you know it was a bit a bit of a shame because his record then was sort of you know five or six days slower than it could have been. Um, but um, but yeah, it's a better rule. But anyway, I mean, it it it, it then kind of null and voided my attempt anyway. However, I'd, I I. All intentions of sort of thinking that maybe I could break the record, but to be honest, within a day of and actually I, I'd already kind of 
decided that the record was off anyway. In my head, I was like, oh, but, you know, I'm going to try and go for it. But already I was thinking that I need to carry on for other reasons. And I I was taking that mini, remember that mini Olympic torch around the world? Yeah, yeah. So some kids in, kids in Greenwich made me a replica Olympic torch. You know, it's 2012, London Olympics. So I thought, oh, let me take this Olympic <laughs> torch around the world. So it was a cool story. And that became my new focus, you know, as a backup plan, really. But, you know, within a day or two of being back on the bike, it was like, yeah, there's no way I can match the 170 miles a day, you know. So I just, it became a different ride. It became me trying to get back to London in time for the Olympics with this Olympic torch for the kids. And, and um, yeah, that kind of gave me the motivation to carry on on that one, you know. Yeah, that's it. I remember it happening. I remember I was following it. Um, you had um, the website and stuff that we could follow your route on. And then I remember the news coming out that that had happened. Uh, I was gutted. I, I wasn't fully aware of the of the details of how how much damage had been done. It was just news that you'd been run over at the time and that the record was off, which was pretty gutting. But I, I imagine for yourself, it was a, a, an even bigger situation that's much bigger than the ride. You mentioned there about the family who took you in. I think that I remember reading about that and thinking, what an amazing story that is. Just maybe a little bit of a reminder of how kind humans can be when they don't need to be. 100%, you know, like the doctor uh, was Welsh, um, but he lived in America and he was married to a lovely Southern woman in, in America. And they had three kids. Um, and yeah, they were, they were just so amazing. You know, they just looked after, they took me back to their home. You know, they're like, they're like, don't stay in hospital, you know, come to our house and we'll look after you. And, and yeah, I mean, yeah, I, they, they were amazing. Like they just gave me the kind of confidence that I could carry on. Yeah, that, that's awesome. So you, you get back from that in 2012 and then what happens to you? What's your next challenge that you faced after that? Do you have a bit of a break and then try and fully recover? So, well, yeah, 2012, I, I, I was 31 years old. Um, I was dead broke dead broke so i moved back in with my mum in a one-bedroom apartment in cheltenham and literally it was tiny it was a basement flat i lived on the pull-out sofa um the living room was so small the little ikea futon when it was out it would almost take up the whole living room you know uh, so um you know i was just like well i've, I've got no money uh i've kind of well, I wasn't unemployable in my head, but like it was difficult to just, I was trying to look for work basically. Just I thought, you know, I've had my fun, I've had my year, it, it kind of didn't go to plan, this cycling thing. Let me just try and get back into employment. And so that was the next challenge is just sort of being a 31 year old living on your mum's sofa in a one bedroom flat, uh, trying to work out what you're going to do with the rest of your life, you know? Um, trying to get loads of jobs as I mentioned and then just nothing was happening and then eventually so it was July eventually sort of December January came around and I was just like this has been six seven months now I need to just you know let me just think of another record at least that gets me out the house and you know if I can get some funding to cover my costs at least that's food on the table while I'm away you know um, and then that's when I came up with the idea of, of swimming the length of Britain um, which I then it started on the 30th of June um, 
2013. You, you took a little bit of a detour on that, if I remember as well, didn't you? Did you, did you cross over to Ireland at one point? <laughs> yeah. So the original plan was to go up Cornwall, cross Bristol Channel from Devon, and then go up the up Wales, basically, across to the Isle of Man, across to Scotland and around. Um, but we're in Wales, South Wales and Pembrokeshire. We're sort of playing around on the maps and we're kind of looking at, at where to swim and, you know, up Wales. And we just noticed like a bit of land off the edge of the map. And um, we, we kind of thought it was an island, like it was just in the corner. So we zoomed out and it was actually <laughs> and we all we sort of looked at each other and we were like, that's a lot closer than we than we thought it was. And actually, so south of Wales to Ireland is only one mile further than north of Wales to the Isle of Man. And I was going to have to do that crossing anyway, plus the extra crossing from the Isle of Man to Scotland. So I just thought, why don't why don't we swim to Ireland? And then I had three crew members, two of them had never been to Ireland. One, Owen, was Welsh, uh, and he was 35 years old, I believe. I'm like, how? Owen, how? You can you can see Ireland from Wales. <laughs> the clear day, like, you can see it from his house. Like, 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 how have you never been there? And then Em and the kayak, she's like, yeah, I've never been to Ireland either. I'm like, I'm like, like, this is unacceptable. Turn the ship around. So, so literally, like, the next day, we turned left, and... Um, Four days later, um, came into Ireland, and then it was actually in hindsight, which is obviously the best site, is um, it was probably make or break for the swim, because um, up Ireland, just the conditions were amazing. You know, uh, you you you're sheltered from all the westerly winds, so if you, you don't get the big chop, whereas on you know Wales you can get real big surf and big waves, you know. So, oh, yeah, I had a great, and the tide is good, and there's loads of places to stop and anchor the boat, which is kind of almost the hardest bit is finding safe anchorage for the boat. Um, so it was, um, yeah, it was, it, was, it was probably the best decision ever, that sort of random, spontaneous idea to turn what, left. In, in what level of swimming had you been doing prior to that? Uh, obviously, you mentioned there about jumping on a bike and it's, it's minimal amount of... Um, training, not training, uh, minimal technical, technical is required yeah. in that early bit. Swimming doesn't strike me as that, though. Whenever I've tried to swim, I'm pretty rubbish at it. But to do it over a long period of time, I imagine that the technique is pretty um, important in that. Yeah. I, I knew how to swim, like I and I knew how to do front call and I was, you know, pretty confident in the water, you know, so that wasn't a worry. It's not like I had to learn how to swim. I just had very, I had terrible style, terrible technique. Um, you know, I, a lot of my style was pushing my hand down. So all you're doing is pushing water to the bottom of the ocean rather than pushing yourself along it. So at the beginning, it was tough. You know, eventually in my head, I, had, I didn't have the muscle memory. So in my head, I pictured a ladder in the water. So imagine you're underwater or you're on the top of the water and there's yeah. a ladder. If you had to sort of grab a rung of the ladder and pull yourself along the ladder, you know, how would you do that? If you all do that now, I'll like bring it now. Ladder bedroom. bring it to water and, and, then, and then push yourself up along this ladder. So that's kind of what I had in my mind. I was like, right, grab, you know, 
left hand, grab the ladder, pull it down, right hand, grab the ladder, pull it down. And <laughs> it was like, it was super tiring because, you know, I didn't have the muscle memory yet. And it takes, you know, ages to build up muscle memory. And so every day I was just like, come on, man, just do it. You know, it's just like, and, and every time I f- didn't think of it, you know, when I got a bit tired, and which was all the time, you know, I just, my style would go out the window. And, you know, sometimes the crew on the boat were like, like, they'd sort of be like he's swimming but he's not moving <laughs> he's, <laughs> like, well, like I was like doing the motion moving, but he's like, not actually going in any direction yeah, like, no exactly and especially when you've got a bit of chop and it's hard to get a good style in, in, in the ocean anyway you're just being thrown around the whole time but you know eventually I kind of got into my rhythm it was pretty slow that's why it took me so long you know my cadence was like down at around 30 you know and and proper marathon swimmers can be up at a hundred, you know, like they're just doof, yeah. doof, 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 doof. whereas I was super slow, but that just became my rhythm. Um and and that's all I knew really. And and even now I'm pretty slow swimmer. Um just because I just I, I spent so long in that rhythm. Um and also I've got a t- even now I've got a terrible style because to stop chase, you know, you you meant to breathe, you know, and you turn your neck a little bit, but it was chafing on my um on my neck so I, I landed up coming up with this sort of breathing technique where I'd almost turn my whole body to its side um, just so I would avoid my neck moving on my wetsuit um, which then would drop my my shoulder and I and because I'm breathing to the right because the waves are coming in from the left it means I would then push off a little bit to the to to my angle to my left and so I'd swim off to the left all the time and and M in the kayak would just get super annoyed at me. She's just like child. So they used to call me the child because I would have all my food blended like a baby. Um, and then they would give it to me, and they they even joke they bought like a baby bottle, and they're like, "Child, it's feeding time." Um, so, so she was like, "Child, why are you swimming to America?" I was like, "Oh, I'm sorry. trying." Was just I'm trying. Hard, you know? uh, yeah. Is that yeah. what? Is that? The first big, the first big swimming challenge you'd ever been really involved in. Then, well, yeah, I mean, yeah, define yeah. big. Yeah, I mean, it, it, is swimming a mile big? I swim a mile. Well done, as a kid. Across <laughs> the lake, so I kind of, yeah, I just kind of. Yeah, that's, that's pretty good, what was it know? that wet the appetite then for the for the round the round Britain triathlon? What. So when I'd finished the swim, I then did the run and I just, you know what? I loved, I loved changing disciplines. I loved the challenge of trying a new discipline um, and, you know, the different training you have to do and the different, yeah, it was all kind of really, um, it was all kind of like, it got me excited. So when I finished the swim cycle run of Britain, I kind of wanted to combine them to do this this third the second f or world's furthest and it just seemed like the obvious progression you know to do a combined actual you know sort of changeover triathlon where i'm literally going straight in there's no rest days you know because it was five years between me swimming cycling and running lands and john O'Groats, you know so i wanted to do one all you know you know day after day um and you know one that would be a world's world's furthest you know um and and yeah so doing a lap of britain 
was just again another for me it was like a no-brainer like it's we live on you know the best island in the world like i just wanted to explore it you know i'd explored the trails when i did when i ran britain i explored the roads when i cycled it i ex- explored the coastline from the sea when i when i swam it so you know doing the actual edge of britain was sort of the next place for me to explore and it was just it was sort of kind of an obvious choice at the time for me and it's just i knew i wanted to do it um so there's, yeah that's what i did and yeah that's that takes us to 2016 now doesn't it there's three things i want to pick up on on that triathlon in particular the first one is that you did it on a bamboo bike and i'll let you go into detail about that the second one was your shortcut that you decided to take across Mersey Island, if I remember rightly. And then the, um, and the oh third one, yeah, the third one is when you, the, it is the swimming leg and the crossing of the shipping channels. Those three things stick in my head so much. Yeah. So why did you choose to, firstly, why did you choose to do it on a bamboo bike? So I wanted to do the whole triathlon self-supported. Uh, it was important for me to do something um, that other people could legitimately just go into their garage and do it. Like, you know, I didn't want to use a 10,000 pound Tour de France bike. I didn't want to have a big fancy support crew with people with high-vis jackets and all that, you know. Because um, for me, I'd followed some, you know, people doing similar, you know, other challenges when they have all these big support crews. And at the time, I'm just like, well, good on them. But, you know, that's they're part of a corner of society that I'm not. So I won't, be, I, you know, there's no way I could, you know, do that type thing. Right. So it was important for me to sort of show that actually, you know, you don't need the fanciest kit in the world. You you can do a 3,200 mile bike ride on a bike that used <laughs> to be a tree once. And, um, you know, and, and that was the reason behind. And also it. They look blimmin' amazing. You know, I, I saw it on Instagram and it was a charity in Vietnam helping unemployed mothers get into work by ba- making these bike frames. And, and, and oh, yeah, they were just so beautiful. And, and um, yeah, I mean, my one, my one sort of, I think it was still growing or it got walked in the post. But the forks were 10 centimetres off to the right and the seat post was five centimetres off to the other to the left and it, yeah, it was all wonky and stuff but um but you know I, she was called matilda and you know yeah we just had a we had a blast right so um yeah that was it basically they they look amazing they ride get they ride amazing and you, you you know i wanted to show that you just you can just kind of do it on 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 minimal kind of kit, yeah, I, think, you know? it, I remember you get you you got couple of injuries through that bike as well didn't you if i remember rightly through that period was it probably just like you said sitting wonky not quite as aligned as, as pretty much yeah you know with the, the seat post off to the left and the, the forks off to the right you're always going to be tensing one or two muscles more than another and you land up getting you know and then going from that straight into a run that was kind of hard you know that was tough to kind of um, kind of work biomechanically, you know, to kind of keep my biomechanics all all running sweet. Yeah, it, it, it was tough, you know, when when you've got such a yeah. Such there were some good people bike. along the route as well, weren't they? That supported you. I saw people um, 
give you massages and you got looked after of a couple of people. So the kindness, any any time. And Christy brought it up in her podcast earlier. Uh, some guy actually um, saw thought she was going to be able to finish on on the the second to last day. She ended up going to sleep and getting up in the morning and doing it in the daylight. But um, saw that her back light wasn't working properly. Rode to the next town, bought her one, and brought it back to her. You know when. When people, she said, she just oh, burst into yeah. tears. It was, there was no point. She couldn't cycle any further anyway because she was crying too much. But when people start to <laughs> see that people are trying things, particularly if there's a charity involved, etc., that they're really willing to to help out, aren't they? Well, the whole world's amazing. You know, ninety nine point nine percent of the world is 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 the sort of the middle ground. I think uh, Russell Howard put it really well on one of his. Uh, TV shows. He's he's like, you know what? Unfortunately, the media and the people who want to shout about everything are the people on, you know, the half a percent on the one side and the half a percent on on the other side. And you know, you got half a percent of people going doom and gloom. The world we're gonna there's gonna be an atomic war, and I've got a button to blow up the whole world, and you know. And then on the other side, we get you know you've got the people going, oh my god, what should we call female fishermen? It's a disgrace, um, you know. And then and then in the middle, there's just the rest of us, all of us, going, you know what? I just want to live my life. I want to be able to buy food and have friends and go on holiday and you know travel and meet people and 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 just live my life. You know, like I'm just why? But unfortunately, you just you hear about. Yeah. The, the the two ends of the spectrum because those are the people with the voices who want to shout about it right um so yeah but for the most part you know everyone's amazing you know and the whole world is full of kind people and that certainly comes out when you go and do any it, of these things you know events like this and I, i've certainly not been part of them but when i when i look at events like this um time could be won and lost and and the whole things can change on a knife edge depending on the decisions you you make and sometimes what you think is a good idea can very quickly turn into a bad idea um that is what i think of when i think about you taking a shortcut through mersey island um (laughs) (laughs) i've forgotten forgotten welcome i haven't forgotten um so you've come right right around the essex coastline and you're Around them, is it, it must it was Mersey Island area, wasn't it? Somewhere like that, or Canby Island, something like that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, on the the original plan, when I was going sort of on the edge of Britain, so the idea was sort of I was going to stay on the edge. Um, I was I was going to initially um, not take any ferries, so the idea was to do it completely human powered. But then actually, when you look at the map, if you have that rule of not taking a ferry across the ports, you land up going miles and miles inland, you know, like like Pool Harbour. I I think Pool's the biggest natural harbour in the world. You land up going so far inland that you actually, it loses the whole idea of being on the edge of Britain, like as a route. Um, So I then thought, you know what, actually doing the ferries, it's just crossing a river. Is crossing a um, an estuary. That's kind of, you know, that's that's legit. You know, that's fine. 
So I did that and, you know, throughout the cycle leg. And then on the, on the run leg, that became even more important because the inland detours were three or four days. Around that Norfolk, you've um, got to come in quite, so yeah. quite a lot there, haven't you? To take a... Yeah, well, I did. And actually, I couldn't. So on the wash in Norfolk, you've got these big canals. These three, I think there's three, three or four canals. And yeah, I'm running all the way down. And it's super frustrating because you can see like 10 meters away is where you're going to be in two days time you know like off, off, <laughs> you know just over the canal um so anyway after enough of that i eventually sort of got down to mersey and again i was sort of i just didn't want to do this i was like oh i just have to go all the way inland again so i thought well let me just cross this air. so i bought one of those uh, threw all my kit in it and then swam but I didn't have any goggles well, I had some goggles but they didn't kind of work I bought some <laughs> goggles but they didn't really work I had my cap and it kept falling off and the hair was going in my eyes and and also it was freezing cold I mean that east coast at that time of year I think it was like 8 degrees, 9 degrees I, it was so cold the water and I, and I had to do cold. two swims and then I, I kind of missed the tide so if I'd gotten that super low tide, my swim would have only been about 20 meters, but it landed being like 200 meters and this freezing. And, you know, I'm also skinny as hell. I've not got much fat on me and I'm malnourished. And, yeah, it was just terrible. So I did the first swim and I just kind of went into this like shock almost. I was just like, oh, I'm so cold. And then I kind of, kind of got to the second one. I thought, no, I can't swim again. So I'm just going to... Um, lie on top of the lilo <laughs> so I, I kind of lay on top of it and kind of paddle <laughs> and I was still freezing cold and anyway I managed to get over there. I don't know if it was worth it it probably wasn't worth it in the end to be honest just that's what that was actually my next question was was the was it worth it did you get what you needed out <laughs> well, of that I probably, I probably saved myself so, uh... about a day really in, in, in the grand scheme of things but um yeah, I mean, oh, I don't know. It was fun. Like it, the one thing that this world of adventure and everything has kind of taught me is kind of resilience. You know, you learn to be, you, you learn to think outside the box, and you kind of be resilient and resourceful at the same time. And and um, yeah, but that that certainly was pretty miserable. But actually, it couldn't have been that miserable because I'd forgotten about it. So. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. Unless you like in a post-traumatic stress disorder, your your memory. Well, I think it's more, it's more likely I've the, suffered the, so many other miseries far worse than that that that's made up. The ones, so far yeah, exactly. <laughs> the more you do. There, there was a there was a the final bit of that one that I just wanted to talk about was a, that crossing that you had to do through the shipping canal uh, or the shipping lane. Sorry, um, that was pretty treacherous, and you had to time that yeah, pretty well, so, didn't you? W- I did. I swam the south coast. My 120 mile swim was from Brighton across back to Dorset. And people, people have asked, why did you choose that section if it's so busy? You know, the, the Solent is the busiest shipping lane in the world. Um, the, the reason is it's got beaches. So the tide runs left and right, right and left. And you can only swim when the tide is going in the direction you're swimming, right? That works all the way around Britain, no matter where you are. You've got this tide that runs up, down, up, down, left, right, left, right, whichever way you're going. Um, And if I was on the West Coast, for example, there's too many places where there's just cliffs and there's no beaches. 
and the east coast was a too cold and you've also got loads of mud flats um so actually once you get past dover to brighton is when the beaches start which meant is i would swim with the tide and as soon as the tide stopped or changed direction i could just swim to shore and i'd have a beach to 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 kind of climb climb out on um, so that's the reason I had to choose the South Coast. The downside is, as you're right, I've got these massive shipping lanes. And they were tough. You know, I'm swimming across Pool Harbour, you know, Portsmouth, Southampton. And, yeah, I mean, it's pretty scary because, you know, you've got to get permission. So I'm phoning in permission to all the um, harbour masters and everyone. And, and Portsmouth, they were like, well, you know, I'm not sure we, we're going to allow you. And I was like, come on, man, like, you know, I've, got, I've got to do this. And, if, and it was touch and go, and I was nearly going to have to swim all the way inland in Portsmouth. Basically, just swim all the way up into the harbour, cross further up when there's no ships, and then swim all the way out again. But eventually, they sort of said, okay, you, we can give you... I remember I was swimming around, and they were like, um, you've got two... We, we can give you two windows, because I needed about 20 minutes, I reckon. They were like, you've got a window now in, the next, in half an hour, or another one in like seven hours time. And I was like, oh, right. Let me go and try and get this one in half an hour. So I swam super hard, but I, I missed it. And I didn't quite get that crossing. Um, uh, so I had to wait out like you know, six or seven hours, I think it was, to, to do the crossing again. And uh, yeah, eventually made it across. But yeah, it's super intimidating because you've got these massive ferries and massive, you know, ships and yachts and also like just day sailors you know people just going out on their yachts you know they don't expect a swimmer in the water do they um but uh, but um i had a safety kayak with me on that one as well so that was that was fine um but yeah it was uh it was it was pretty tough swimming across that solid bit you know yeah, I bet. The, um, so let's fast forward now then to your latest challenge that you've recently completed and it's on Amazon Prime for all of the people out there that want to watch it. Um, it's it Was your, was it your second attempt at the, the European record? Yeah, my second record? attempt. So 2017, I pulled out when I hit the Pyrenees on day four, I think it was. Um, quad muscle, but where my quad meets my, my knee on the outside, there's a little tendon. I just pu pulled it. It was a little niggle, nothing serious, but it was enough to sort of limit my mileage down to sort of 150 miles a day, which is not enough, right? Um, well, that's, that was my next question, actually. If we're looking at technically what you've got to deliver on a daily basis, um, I, I want to try and get some stats around it, like calorie consumption, speed that you've got to do water consumption i saw the list that you carry quite regularly on the front of your bike of what yeah. you need to do to remind you to drink yeah. etc so what kind in terms of preparation i'm not not overly focused on the training but once once you work out to to, to meet that challenge to to beat it what what did you have to perform at what so level? the stats around that were so the mileage is about 165 miles a day which is is tough but it's not unthinkable tough you know i could have one or two bad days with that sort of mileage what made it tough is eastern europe and dodgy roads and trying to get food in foreign languages you know that adds time you know you know the, the record i only broke by 20 minutes a day and as i as i said you know 20 minutes you lose 20 minutes at traffic lights so that made it that makes it all the more difficult right so 
you know, I had to do 165 miles a day. I needed to probably eat around 5,000 calories a day. And within that, I needed a good proportion of fat, carbs, uh, and protein. Uh, and within, within the nutrition pie, you also need um, energy recovery and health. So you need some fresh fruit and veg and that sort of thing and antioxidants. Um, water, I was sort of, uh, you sweat, I swear about a liter an hour in the heat, maybe 700 mils otherwise. So, you know, I'm easily putting away possibly up to 10 liters of water a day. Um, and on top of that salt, I have a salt deficiency. So I actually have a laminated little note on the front of my bike and on it's a list of things. And one of them is just eat salt. So I, I, I literally take a shaker of salt or, or a bag of salt and I, I pour the salt into my water bottles. Um, uh, <clears throat> Yeah, it's disgusting. I've done so many weird stuff to get more salt. I filled up a a third of my water bottle with seawater before and filled up the rest with fresh water. I mean, I don't know if that's even going to work, but I did it. Um, I've licked licked the salt off my skin, so I've kind of reused the salt. Like, so if I've had a sweaty arm, I've been like licking my arm and stuff. It's pretty. (laughs) The ultimate use, the ultimate. (laughs) Machine just yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if that works or not, but you know, I need a lot of salt. And, and, and in fact, generally, I think most of us in, in society now, there's, there's so little salt in everything. You need salt, you know, to, to help the water absorb into your muscles, you know. Um, and I know a lot of, a lot of us, if you do a, even just a little bit of exercise, are pretty, pretty dehydrated most of the time. So, but obviously, you know, you, you don't have too much salt to consult your doctor and all that jazz. But um, certainly, I, I almost can't have enough salt. I think I need about 40 grams a day, I was told, uh, when, I had, when I had a salt test done. Uh, bearing in mind, the UK daily recommended allowance is six grams. And I need about, I need. I was going to say, like five or six times more than yeah, what exactly. the recommended allowance when you start to heavily throughout the the journey as well you you replace so much yeah exactly so you you know i'm just eating crisps you know because crisps are actually pretty good salt fats and carbs uh, and and you know you get quite a lot of calories per 100 grams of crisps it's usually around 510 to 520 calories per 100 grams eating loads of peanut butter which is also pretty good um pretty you know a high fat but not only fat you know you need some carbs for the power on the hills the fat and carb thing it depends on your heart rate if you're running a low heart rate fat's better if you're running a high heart rate you need the carbs um but to be honest you don't really have a choice when you're self-supported you just kind of eat whatever right <laughs> you know you just kind of when you're eating frozen pizza, what? When you're oh, eating yeah, frozen so, pizza. You know, <laughs> when you're eating frozen pizza know, so like, you know i'd limit my stops to like 14 minutes and you know i can't wait for a pizza to cook you know so i'm buying frozen pizzas and thawing them out a little bit while i eat a banana and drink my water and it's horrible you know but it's calories so you just got to get it in you right um and and sleep wise you know i was lucky i could sort of have like four hours five hours a night um also because i i didn't want to take any unnecessary risks by cycling you know there's that sort of what i call the graveyard death zone cycling where you have just much more chance of getting run over um and that's sort of from 11 o'clock 12 o'clock to about two or three you know that's when you're tired that's when other people are tired on the on the road so i didn't want to do that so i'd sort of 
try and camp up by sort of 10 or 11 and then get up at 3.58 every day and then carry on. Um, so actually, I was sleeping quite well. I didn't take a tent to save 300 grams. Um, so making, <laughs> I saw that. Yeah, making life a little bit interesting, trying to find camping spots. But um, it worked. It was only a couple of nights I got rained on. And actually, I just got up early. Like Once I got rained on at 2 a.m., so I just kind of got up and started cycling because I knew I... I was just going to get wetter and wetter and not sleep anyway, so I just I just kind of got up and it was good. I had a good day that day. I think I did two hundred miles that day, so it kind of worked to my favour. Yeah. The, so the the uh, European one, you was racing. Was that virtually against Jonas Nightman at the time? Was it? Yeah, Jonas. Jonas yeah. So the previous record holder was a German guy called Jonas, uh, who's now actually going for my triathlon record. And he's going to annihilate it. It's amazing. Um, I think my... my he is, mine was, is, that, is, that, is that genuine he's going to annihilate it? Mine was 4,000 miles. I think his 18,000 miles or something. It's, it's amazing. Um, oh, yeah, wow. he's basically going around the world. He's basically doing a triathlon around the world. Um, yeah, it's awesome. Um, so, yeah. So, I just had his tracking data on my website, which allowed me to sort of have this which i thought at the time i thought oh this will be fun you know it means my friends and family can watch and it'll be kind of like an actual race right but blimmin hell just started playing on my head because every day i you know i'd do, I'd do a, it i'd do a monster <laughs> ride and if anyone was following me we jonas and i had slightly different cycling times so my first day was really short because i started at five o'clock in the evening um whereas his first day was really long so when i stopped you know, we both started at the same time, but when I stopped at midnight, that was his four o'clock in the afternoon. So he carried on cycling, basically, and then he would stop cycling at sort of 9 a.m. for me, uh, and, and I would get up at 4 a.m. So I was chasing him a little bit, but then I would overtake him at some point, usually around midday, one o'clock, two o'clock, um, and then I would sleep and he would overtake me. And I mean, I think it took me like three weeks to eventually get ahead of him. But it was just soul destroying because I'd do these monster days and I'd wake up and you'd still, you'd be like 80 miles ahead of me. I'm like, what? How is that possible? You know, I thought, I thought that there was one particular, I'll call it an outburst that you had yeah. where he was like, how is this even possible? It can't be right. Yeah. He's got eight on me and I, I've literally done I don't know, you've done 150 miles or something and it was just ridiculous numbers that this guy was punching out. No, I, I just, it didn't make sense because I knew his overall ride time so if he was pushing out like 200 miles a day at the beginning I just, you know, he, he obviously just really bonked at the end you know, so he obviously yeah. just front loaded his mileage, which is a strategy you know, and I do it as well. You know, if you bank loads of miles at the beginning, you're not chasing your tail. Um, but it is dangerous because you, you can burn out. You know, you can overcook yourself at the beginning. And I think maybe that's what he did. So I, again, I, you know, I was in the first 24 hours on the first attempt. I think I did nearly 300 miles. And I was like, that's too much. Let me take it down way down to like 200 miles in the first 24 hours and i did okay i think i did 222 miles in the first 24 hours on, on the sec on my actual attempt um which is a bit better but i think it was still i pushed it a little bit the conditions weren't as hot and i was feeling good and i had a bit of a tailwind so that was all part of it um you've got to take advantage of those situations haven't you when they when they present themselves like you say a tailwind 
the temperature's a little bit cooler. Yeah. You feel good. Yeah. You, you have to take a because you must know at some point there's a day where it's constant headwinds. Yeah. You're not going to be feeling great and, and you're not going to be able to push it that much. Yeah, I sort of call them, there's sort of two days really. There's sort of like match days and attack days. So on the match days, I was like, right, I just need to match his mileage. You know, I need to match his mileage um, because the conditions aren't perfect. And then all you need, like all I needed was one or two days in a 25-day ride, all I needed is one or two good attack days. And the attack days will happen when you've got good condition, you've got good weather, you've got a tailwind, you can get food regularly, you can get water regularly, and quickly, you know, and it's the good type of food. You know, so if you can find pizzas and high-carb, high-fat sort of stuff, if you can find some fresh food as well for your antioxidants, you know, all that sort of stuff, you know, eventually, you know, all the stars align. And on a 25-day ride, you probably only get three days where everything works in your favor. And then those are the days where you win, you know, those are the days where you win. The rest of the time, it's just sort of who can suffer, suffer better than someone else, you know. Um so, yeah, so I was sort of just waiting for a couple of attack days. And I had one or two good attack days. Um, unfortunately, my best attack day was in Germany, um, which and I didn't really gain on him because he's German, which already was in his favor, which meant, you know, he knew, <laughs> he knew what type of food to buy in supermarkets. He could order it quicker because he could speak the language. So, yeah, it was just frustrating that actually on on a day that I was hopefully going to capitalize, I actually didn't really because I was already probably two hours in in sort of deficit because of the language barrier and, and not knowing what to buy. Um, but eventually, I had another couple of attack days, and and also he had a bad he had a bit of a mechanical in in uh, Poland, um, so I was able to sort of build on build on that as well. So. Yeah, eventually sort of got to the end. Actually, I made a lot of prayer. I was 24 hours ahead of him by the time I hit Russia. Uh, on, you know, so um, I lost a lot of time in Russia uh, because of headwinds and terrible road conditions and that sort of thing. Um, but uh, yeah, still managed to sort of keep ahead of it in the end. Yeah, there, there was a, a sensed an element of relief when you got over the... the first, there was a couple of points. There was one where you got through the Pyrenees um, which was um, further than you'd got on your previous yeah. attempt. So you beat beat that day, and the second one where you celebrated with a nice beer, which was was that the two thousand mile? Was it the halfway point? Yeah, like yeah that? exactly. Yeah, halfway because pretty much the 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 ride was almost bang on four thousand. It was three thousand nine hundred, I think, or three thousand eight hundred and something. Um, uh, no, sorry, three thousand nine hundred and something. Um, but uh, yeah, so halfway point, I sort of, I was 12 hours, so it was day 12, I was 12 hours ahead. So I'd built, I'd gained an hour a day on Jonas. Um, so I was feeling good. So I, yeah, went to a supermarket, uh, bought myself a beer. Annoyingly, I bought it too early on in the day. And then by the time it was, I got to the halfway point, it was six o'clock in the evening and it was boiling hot. So it was still pretty good. Still pretty good beer there, to be well, as any, any good actor would, you, you, you didn't let the audience on. I didn't notice that. You just drank it like it was ice cold. Right? Well, to, to be honest, it felt at the time it was just like the best thing I'd ever tasted in my entire life. Um, but it's pretty bad. <laughs> what I want to... 
12 days further forward than that. You're coming up to the finish line. This one's eluded you a couple of times. You, you're, you've done it. You've beat Jonas. You've got the world record. How did that feel, mate? Oh man, it was it was it was a weird one. Like I didn't. There was obviously there was no one there. You know, um, they, they, obviously there's a documentary, so there was a film crew, just two guys at the end. Um, and I felt bad for them in, in hindsight. You know, I've, I've watched the end, and the end is exactly as I wanted it. You know, I, I didn't want the fanfare. I didn't want this big crowd and people. And it just for me, it was like just kind of like a relief and there was kind of almost no well there wasn't any emotion I just sort of got to the end and and that was like thank god I've done it you know like it's done like that (laughs) that was it like I just wanted to sort of go to sleep really um and then I've I've kind of watched it and I feel I feel bad for the film crew because I'm sure they were wanting some big emotional like cheers and like me shouting and screaming and but you know that's just kind of what it wasn't that moment for me it was a real deep meaningful moment for myself really um you know I, I didn't even say anything i didn't say anything to the camera or i didn't have i didn't film myself crossing the finish line as it were the metaphorical finish line i did i didn't do anything i just was like me on my own you know there was kev the camera guy he was there just like following me with the with the uh, with a camera as i'm cycling up to the statue at the end um and it was just like a, a personal private moment. You know, I think it, it would have ruined it for me had I felt I needed to sort of talk to the camera and tell them everything and just like be telly, you know, do it, be a presenter. You know, I felt like if I was doing that, I was yeah. just presenting this, this record rather than being the person in it. And I didn't, you know, it's, it, it's real. Like that's how I wanted it to be. Right. Um, that- when I watched it, uh, don't worry, the emotion was okay. I did it for you in our house because me and Carly sat down and watched it a couple of weeks ago when we'd been chatting about getting you on, trying to get you on the podcast. And uh, we were sitting watching it. And I, I I, was a little bit emotional at the end of it because I, bear in mind that, and, and I'm saying this to the person who it is that did it, but, you know, I, I kind of knew what you'd gone through and I'd been able to watch that from the outside. I was just relieved that you'd got you'd got there yeah. before it got eight. And I know we talked about that slightly earlier, but I just didn't want this one to be a missed opportunity. And then you have to try and do it again in another year's time. And by that time you realize, you know, you're closer to 40 or, you know, and it's, it, it just doesn't really come off. So I was just buzzing yeah. for you, mate, when you did that. Was yeah, I mean, I, you know, I was, there were so many things I was relieved. I was relieved I didn't get run over. I was relieved that I was safe, you know, I was just about to get married and, you know, I knew we want to, we want to start a family. And, you know, had I not made it, you know, that would have put me way back because I, I was then going to get married and we, we were, you know, planning to have children and, and that sort of thing. And, and, you know, the, it's weird. Like if someone said now, Sean, do you want to go back out and do that record again now and break your own record, for example, or had I not done it, you know, try and break it now. Like, it's very, like, you know, now that I'm a father, it just changes your your perception on, on risk, really. Like, is it worth it? You know, is it worth potentially widowing my wife and son to get run over, you know, and, and be killed, you know, doing something like that? And, you know, there are some records that I have in my head where 
the inspiration and you know that I'm going to give my son and you know making my son proud is worth a little bit of risk um but I, I think something it, it would need to be a lot bigger to warrant the risk now for me as a record rather than something that's sort of um kind of short like 25 days you know I don't know I think but if I'm going to risk my life you know I need to do it properly like I need to go away for eight months <laughs> you know yeah I, I mean that just shows I mean two things that I I recognize there from you firstly is the not the lack of emotion but the lack of fanfare that happened at the end of the of the race yeah. that come across as that type of person to me and you have done for as many years as I've known you. It's just all very down to earth. It's what you do. It's what you love. It's what you enjoy. And it doesn't need to be this big, this big fanfare that goes with it. And that I'm glad that I really am glad that stayed with you because there would be, there would be times I'm sure where uh, people have been involved in such things that you have, where you can allow that to maybe change you a little bit. And, and the minute I texted you the other week and said, oh, do you want to come on a podcast? It was no like lengthy message back. It was just like, yeah, sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm when. Let me know. <laughs> like, he hasn't changed one little bit here. He's not, he's not even changed. But the second bit there is that you talk about being a father and that your risk has, the, your view on risk has changed. And when we worked together in 2011, I think you would have done anything at that oh, point. Yeah. That's how I... 100%. You would have literally said, well, what? I've got to do it on a unicycle with juggling night. No problem. Let me out there. I'll do it. And now that that view on the world has slightly changed. And I think that's a, I'm, that's why I was so pleased that you managed to get that in before all of that. Well, yeah. And also, you know, I've, I've got less to prove now. Like I've, I've proved to myself what I can do and with my body and my mind. And it's all just been a, a personal sort of learning curve to improve myself and 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 just do stuff that hopefully my son will be proud of when he eventually is a teenager and he you know because he's he doesn't have a clue what I do and he won't have a clue really about what daddy's got up to in his life until he can read a book really um and if you know until he's probably 10 or 11 when he reads one of my books then he might have a clue like wow dad you actually did this um and that in itself is enough you know um but you've got to you've got to sort of at the moment, you know, I'm now not just going for the glory records. You know, I don't want to go out and just do a record for the, as you say, just to like, for the fame, for the fanfare, for the notoriety, for the newspaper headlines, you know, like that's not what it's about for me. You know, I want to do stuff that makes my son proud of me. And, you know, it's got to be now because I pushed the bar so high. I'm only really going to go for records that are completely completely bonkers you know that are super difficult um but, but hopefully difficult not dangerous you know there's a difference you know you can do yeah. they you know they, they it may not have any risk of death in it um and that's the big one you know there's i think it would be a shame to just try and do a record for the sake of getting a headline um, and 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 then it you know that resulting in 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 you sort of you know leaving my wife and, and son on their own you know that's not fair for anyone no one wins in that situation um, yeah. whereas you know doing something that my son can legitimately go whoa that was that's impressive you know and hopefully that that actually kind of excites me more you know 
Yeah, I completely agree. Just just some information for you about parenting <laughs> teenagers, as I have some experience in that. <laughs> they're they're, they're not proud true. of you, no matter what you've done. So you can cycle across the world, or you can just have any job. It doesn't matter. They don't even speak to you half of the time. And he's more, more frustrated that I, I use the Wi-Fi and it's not as good when I'm on it because I'm too busy <laughs> recording podcasts and stuff. So, yeah, don't, please true. don't fool yourself into that believing is. looking after oh, teenagers well. is anything I'm like tap, you think tap it is. Yeah, get out of the big ones now. I suppose that, that Sean, that's been amazing. Thank you very much. I just want to try and figure out if if there is something, what what is next? You you mentioned you've got a couple of records in your head. Don't want any spoilers on here, obviously. But if there's yeah, anything so you want to mention, then this year. biggest project I've ever done. Um, it's been delayed, unfortunately, now due to COVID. But of course, there's bigger bigger problems in the world. So my my silly world record is 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 unimportant at the moment. While while the world tries to get back on track with COVID. Um, however, yeah big project it's going to take eight months to complete so the longest thing i've ever done you know away from my family uh real physical record um we've we've just sort of talked about dangerous stuff it is dangerous but i think it's it's not it's only dangerous if if you're an idiot um so i i think i've i've managed the, the danger on this one quite well i think i think when people find out what it is they'll probably disagree um but that's now been pushed to hopefully the, yeah. the end of the year, um, all things considered. But we're, we're just sort of playing it by ear now with, with what the World Health Organization say. Um, and and I'm just sort of trying to keep fit now, um, which is annoying because I was meant to go in June. So I was that's really what... ramping up my training now. Um, but yeah, unfortunately, I've <laughs> now another four-month delay, which is now really changed my whole training block so um but i'm still i'm still ferocious on the training at the moment because you know otherwise i'll just be sat at home doing nothing well you'd be sat home <laughs> like the rest of us drinking wine eating crystal I was watching a, a clip earlier and it said, don't worry, we've been locked down for three more weeks. So if you have been sat on your ass doing nothing, you've now got a chance to turn that round before you go back to work. So hopefully that uh, but um, so, what do adventurers do when they're in social distancing? You live no, in the Lake we've District. We've moved still. to North Wales to be near a family. You know, the Lake District was amazing, but being near a family was super important uh, for us to just so that granny and granddad are on the doorstep now, and we've got cousins nearby. And, uh, so yeah, we're in North Wales, and what do I do at the moment? I'm I'm learning the harmonica, so this is quite fun. Wow, that's the bad note. That one got it upside down. (laughs) I've only been doing it for three days. Um, (laughs) The harmonic is the well, the ultra endurance, um, ultra endurance sort of musical instrument of choice i think because i think it only weighs about 50 grams um and you can put in your jersey back pocket jobs are good um so uh yeah exactly. yeah Love at it. the moment i'm i'm training a lot um I've, well i say a lot you know i'm in the world we live in at the moment i'm training a lot i'm going out every day doing as you know 
well, they say an hour a day, so I'm, I'm probably pushing that a little bit. Um, but we do live in the countryside, so we don't really see anyone here. Uh, yeah, uh, well, anyway. a lot of writing. You know, I've got loads of books um, in the pipeline. Um, yeah, a couple of novels, a couple of nonfiction, a couple of fiction. Um, so, yeah, just keeping busy that on that side. I was meant to be away now, so it's, it's nice family time as well. Um, but, um, yeah, just trying to be creative at home with different ways of, of keeping fit, which is uh, actually quite fun just for a laugh, you know. So I went running with the pram today and then hopped. I saw the, yeah. I saw the pictures on Instagram then, earlier at, pushing at the, the pram the, around. The walk, we go, we go I, the end of the run, I sort of, it wasn't very long, it was only a couple of miles, but um, right at the end there's, there's a, a little woodland with, with some wood so we always go and take a log for the fire. Um, so I threw the log on the on the bottom of the pram as well to push it up the hill at the end. So <laughs> it was a bit of extra weight. Yeah, bit of extra. Well, um, so we we don't know exactly what's coming next. But we know it's something big. Um, I just want to pick on one last thing before I let you get back to your <laughs> harmonica and your whiskey. Um, what if if you could give somebody any advice? who wants to have a job title which is adventurer like yours, what what advice would you give to someone starting out who's starting to want to get into these types What's of things? It? Do you actually want to do it as a as a as a job in the word in like an in inverted commas? Like so so if anyone wants Maybe, to yeah, make yeah. a, a, a career you... I hate the word career, but if if someone wants to use the world of adventure uh, as their main source of paying their way through life you, you, you fundamentally it, it boils down to the fact that you're a storyteller basically that's where you are you you and you package that story uh and and you leverage that story to hopefully get people to to part with their money which will help you buy food and pay your rent right so that's basically what it boils down to so you either so, you know, you've Firstly, you've got to go and, and create your story. And this is where people kind of forget, you know, you've, you've got to create your story. You know, it was probably, it was, well, even way after I swam the length of Britain before I was able to sort of move out my mum's house. And, and even then I bought a boat. I lived on a boat for many years. And, um, you know, so go out and just create your story. You know, forget about the sort of, you know, trying to make money and, trying to get loads of instagram likes and all that stuff you know just go and live and create your story and then if your story's good people will will pay for it and they'll either pay for it in a book form they might pay for it in a vlog they might pay for it in a youtube series as a youtuber they might pay for it in a talk format um you know and that sort of thing so you know you can then go out and do that thing but fundamentally you need to go and make your story so my advice is go out and and live your story like go and create your story like that's the most important thing you know forget about the instagram and all this thing yes get good content you know good content is great for everyone but it's also great for you for later in life you know just to have as a as a memory um but just go and live your story you know that's that's the first thing you know don't overcomplicate it find your story go and live it 
And if it's good and if it's create and interesting and unique and, you know, if there's a bit of hardship in there, that helps. <laughs> yeah. um, people yeah, people of course. Find, find it interesting and inspiring to, to sort of get behind you in various ways. So, um, but yeah, I think people want everything too quickly now. They forget, you know, they look at everyone like me and they think, oh, wow, you've just done this thing and now you write a book and you've sold loads. But they forget that actually for years I lived with my mum. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it is exactly that. I think the world is the world is looking for some instant. Our people are looking for some instantaneous. Yeah, but fame, I think, let's say I don't yeah, know if that's the right not, word. Not their fault, maybe they I think a lot of people share misleading journeys as well. You know, I think there's a lot of people in my shoes who only put you know, the highlights and that sort of thing. So that's why even on my website, I have a whole section called hiccups, which is the stuff that's kind of not really gone to plan uh, in my life. And, uh, you know, it's super important to, to share that side <laughs> of things, you know, otherwise. Yeah, it, I, did, I did a podcast that I released uh, this morning. I did it on Friday with, with Jodie Hill. And I won't go into that subject, but she was talking about mental health and stuff like that. One of the things she said is, about posting the actual reality. So even when things aren't so great, get them on there because that's how people can relate to the story that you're telling because it can come a little bit, um, you can't really relate to it if it's all perfect. And uh, yours yeah, is exactly. certainly but, not you know, being I don't that. want to moan. So we you know when things aren't going great, I don't want to sort of sit here and wallow in my own misery and get everyone to like my post because I'm miserable. Um, so I'm not, I'm not about that either. I'm just putting the facts out there, you know, like sometimes stuff doesn't work out and this is what I've yeah. learned and I'm, I'm going to carry on, you know, uh, and I'm not going to sit around and cry about it. Um, and, 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 but I want, I want you all to know that the journey isn't always super easy. You know, there is failure, there is injury, there's, you know, that sort of thing. And, and that's just part of life, you know, and it would be misleading if I didn't sort of put that out there, you know, Yeah, I think you said that about creating a story. I have uh, followed right that story, mate, for the last ten years, and you you genuinely inspire me. And I know you inspire lots of other people. And I know for a fact that your son will be super Until proud of the right, achievements that you've had. Um, <laughs> many will hate you like they all do, but. Listen, mate, I just want to, I do, I, I want to tell you how grateful I am for coming on this uh, podcast this evening. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm, and, I'm uh, you ask me, mate. Thanks so much. Yeah. yeah it's been awesome. You, you were on the list, mate, from the beginning. Thank you very much. I just wish you, um, your wife and, and your little boy, uh, all the safety, mate, while this strange situation's on. And as soon as this is over, I can't wait to see what this project is. And, and I'll be following it like I have all the others, mate. No, I just want to say yeah, thank you so very much, much for yeah, joining please. me. Stay safe too. Nice one.